You are listening to Fanfare Tracks. Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark Wolcaster. That's not true. That's impossible. Hello and welcome to episode 100 of Making Tracks. Brought to you by the fine folk over at fanfortracks.com. My name's Mark, I am one of your co-hosts, and this week, as always, is the only man who's appeared on every single Making Tracks episode. That's right, it's Mr. Mark Newbold. Mark, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thanks, dude. I'm starting to sweat a little oh, bit. It's just starting to get a little bit toasty in here already. Yeah. It's the same here. It's the same. It's been muggy. I was up nice and early, went to the gym, so that was great. And it was nice and cool. A few bottles of water to cool me down, but yeah, definitely. And I've not got the fan on because you'd hear it on the recording, so I've turned the fan off. So it's proper roasty yeah. in here. Yeah, can't complain because uh, you know it's summer and we don't get too many days like this. How's your week in Star Wars been? It's been a busy one. We had the extra episode out, the Vanessa Marshall Roundtable. I was fortunate enough to be a part of where we got to talk to her about Hera's appearance in Devil's Deal. Reviews on the site. Nothing news really coming to the collection this week that I can think of. Business as usual, I'd say. How about you? I had a post up this week on our Facebook page for Rebel Legion Elstree Base. We've got like a private one that I use just to fire out big announcements. But our forum has been upgrading that, but not by myself. It's uh, being done by the, the web hosts and stuff. So I'm a little bit nervous at the moment because the last time they kind of changed stuff, we lost a whole forum. So we, you know, we had to do a big rebuild on that. Fingers crossed, as far as I'm aware, it's going okay. We're putting it into the hands of the tech gods and see what happens but yeah so so no real kind of acquisitions or nice shiny new things this week no nothing this week it's been a it's been a quiet one in that respect so you had anything wobble into the house my star wars vintage collection gaming greats figures have arrived but i actually don't have them because they've arrived at the post office and i wasn't in so they're still at the post office <laughs> so i could go collect those so they're waiting for me and apart from that i just randomly picked up just a full set of Star Wars key rings. I mean, I think most people will remember these ones. They're kind of like the big kind of character key rings, yeah. which have got a, with what I kind of consider a classic Star Wars logo, which is that kind of metallic kind of look about yeah. it. So yeah. just a random uh, eBay auction that was basically going unloved. So I picked those up for like like next to nothing. Nice catch. Yeah, so I, I think I've got most of them already. So I need to kind of go through and see if I basically wasted my money or if actually I've got a couple there that I... I can now use to complete the set. So, yes, going to do that this week. Hey, man, it's me, Kevin Smith, Star Wars fan, Fanta Tracks fan. Award nominations continue to pour in for the second season of Mandalorian. Its cast and its crew have uh, not just earned five, not even ten, but 24 Emmy nominations for the flagship Disney streaming series. The nominations cover the whole host of award categories from outstanding drama to outstanding period and or character hairstyling. So, I mean, it's a fantastic amount of nominations that they've just received. It's incredible. It really is. I think Disney Plus as a project, I think we talked about this the other week, you know, because it did pick up some other nominations in other award ceremonies, but... 24 Emmys. I mean, that is hefty. I think there was only one show. Yeah. I think I think One Division got 25. That was the only show uh-huh. that got more. Falcon and Winter Soldier got six, I think, as well. Just incredible. But like you say, dramatic score, 
Best Supporting Actor, Best Guest Actor, Carl Weathers for that one, Timothy Oliphant as well. Outstanding Drama Series. I mean, that's the biggie for the show, isn't it, really? And then visual yeah. sound effects, like you say, all the way through. 24 nominations, absolutely incredible. I think the season one got 15 nominations, which was amazing. So this is a, a massive step up on that, and all it does is just hype the anticipation for, firstly, for Booker Boba Fett, but then, of course, for season three, Amanda. Exactly, and from what I've read, I think there was a 15% increase in the number of nominations that the Emmys received this year. I think you can basically nominate for any category, and then they get selected, so obviously it gets whittled down. If the fact that, you know, we've had... Quite a few streaming series pick up like nominations across the board is quite interesting and quite positive, I think, for, for streaming services. For Star Wars especially, it's, it's wonderful news. So yeah. um, hopefully this will, like you said, this will reflect with the Book of Boba Fett and then what we're going to see when uh, Mandalorian Season 3 hits our screens. It's, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it really is. Always good to see Star Wars get nominated. It certainly has been shut out of the Oscars over the last few decades, really, which I think is uh, regrettable yeah. considering how especially ILM got just dominated the uh, the visual effects categories for the 80s and the 90s and then has been pretty much shut out ever since. Don't understand that. Hats off to everybody involved with The Mandalorian. Hi, this is Dave Chapman and you're listening to Fanta Tracks. Disney Gallery The Mandalorian is getting its own special edition. We like special editions in Star Wars. They're releasing an extended version of the behind-the-scenes documentary for Season 2, which will also include how they turned 68-year-old Mark Hamill into 30-year-old Mark Hamill for the end sequences of The Mandalorian. I think everyone was kind of feeling like this is what they'd see when the episode came out originally, and now we're getting this version of it. What do you make of that? Do you think they'll really show us the nuts and bolts of how it was done? I hope so. To be fair, they probably kind of have to, really. If it's going to be 45 or 50 minutes in length, which is what I think the, the galleries are, that's a lot of time to fill with other stuff. I was thinking about this, and I just wonder if maybe they made a decision that when the gallery came out originally for season two of Amando, it was still too close to when the finale had hit and maybe they wanted to make sure that they kept the spoilers and behind the scenes stuff to a minimum and maybe even actually it comes down to they wanted to maybe discuss how this technology is going to affect production going further and there might have been some discussions behind the scenes as to whether or not it's something they wanted to show or not yeah. so the fact is you know we're now getting a full episode is great so it's fantastic news and i can't wait to watch this on august 25th it's uh going to be one of those kind of get up first thing in the mornings and uh, head downstairs and plonk it on and watch it because like fascinated to see uh, the process behind this Mark Hamill's reaction to being approached and asked to actually be involved in this I think that's been quite something that he wasn't really expecting back when uh, he'd finished The Rise of Skywalker. The reaction of Hamill to coming back for this because it certainly was a surprise for him he didn't expect this I guess he probably didn't realise the technology was that good. And it's a week of, as well. It's been in the news this week about where we have deep fakes for faces making people look like other people. You've also got yeah. a vocal version of deep fakes. I don't know if you've heard any of these. Yes. Absolutely incredible, but also a bit scary. So I think when this episode came out originally, to look behind the curtain straight away and see how they did it with Hamill might have been too much and it might have took the magic away a little bit. Now, to do it, what, seven, eight months later, however long it is since, um, you know, the rescue debuted. That's probably the right time. And, you know, you got all those Emmy nominations, Mando's back in our thoughts, Book of Boba Fett's not that far away now. So very smart bit of business. I'm very much looking forward to seeing this. Hi, this is John Morton from The Empire Strikes Back. I'm Dak Rautha, or Bespin Boba, and you're listening to Fantha Tracks. 
So speaking of Mr. Hamill, he was guest on Friday night's Jimmy Fallon show where he was basically discussing his involvement with Masters of the Universe Revelation where he plays Skeletor, which is something I cannot wait for. Jimmy Fallon also gets onto The Mandalorian and his involvement with that big kind of reveal that we saw at the end of season two. The last couple of years you keep showing up and surprising me and everyone with these things. I don't want to spoil any of the things you have if you haven't seen. If you're Mandalorian fans, put your earphones on. Um, but how you pulled that off was one of the coolest surprises ever. Uh, I just wanted to say congrats on that. That was one of the coolest TV moments of uh, definitely this year that we saw. And and talk about unexpected. You know, I had finished playing that part. I never expected to do it again. I thought if they ever tell stories of Luke in that period, post the originals and pre-sequels, they'd get an actor, you know, an age-appropriate actor. So when Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni told me about what they wanted to do, I was just stunned. Uh, But... uh, one of the main things with Mandalorian is you are sworn to secrecy. I can't even talk about it with my family, even now. You can hear the excitement in his voice when he's talking about it. You know, we're seven or eight months past the rescue. It's safe to talk about it to a certain degree. I mean, he's said it before, hasn't he? He sort of said, oh, never expected to come back. Couldn't believe it happened. But even he thought they would get a younger yeah. actor. You know, and that's the first time we've heard that. You know, even he thought, well, I guess they're just going to get a younger guy. And if they want to do more stuff with Luke unless the technology really is at the point now where they can actually do it. And again, deep fakes for the faces and this AI thing for the voices. If Hamill's happy to lend his voice, great. Because if they can make Luke look like that on a, on a regular, ongoing basis for television, nobody loses. It's great. He's still acting as Luke Skywalker in a slightly different way, performing the character and giving him the heart that we want him to have. By the same token, maybe there's a way, and this is what I'm thinking, is is as you get older, your voice gets deeper. And Hamill's voice naturally has dropped a few registers. So Mark doesn't speak yeah. the same as he did back in 1983. If they'd filmed this when it was actually supposed to be filmed, he'd have been filming it in 89, 90. It's sort of four or five years on, if you think of it in those terms. So if they can yeah, yeah. orchestrate a, a scenario whereby they can have his voice at the pitch and tone it was back in the early 90s, let's say, and Hamill vocalises it, and they can make it sound just like he did back then. It's a vocal deepfake, isn't it? But with permission and within collaboration with the performer himself, I don't see that being an issue. It's a technology that's progressing. If they can make Luke look and sound like he did back in those days and do it on a regular basis, and the actor's still involved, Hamill's still there as a part of that process, everybody wins. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a a fairly decent kind of take on it. If there's transparency about it and everybody's on board, that's the main thing. Because obviously that is the biggest concern about deepfake technology, uh, vocal or visual, is just that actually you're blurring the lines between reality. And when you start to do that, you know, then you start to question exactly what you're seeing. I, I know there's been lots of people who have done their own versions of the rescue scenes with Luke yes. at the end of uh, Mandalorian. But they've been basically using the footage of the already digitally enhanced yeah. Mark Hamill on there as a base. So the, the deepfake technology's got less work to do to actually get it to fit. And a lot of the times, deepfake technology doesn't actually work at the higher resolutions that we want for film and for yeah. high-end TV. Yeah. So therefore, it's not necessarily going to mean that actually suddenly we could get loads of characters done because it's process intensive it's going to mean that also i think we have to look at this from two different sides and and mark 
kind of says it himself in in some degrees. He was saying that, you know, he thought that they would have got an age-appropriate actor. And I kind of figure that out of anybody, I think Mark would probably also be on board to kind of let somebody else run with that role because Mark yes he's done the Joker but there's been so many different iterations of the Joker and different actors have played it he doesn't necessarily have ownership of the Joker from Batman I think maybe with Luke Skywalker it could be something like that so balance is actually yes it was fantastic and for something like the end of The Mandalorian it's amazing that we've seen Mark Hamill and a younger looking Mark Hamill than what we could normally expect being that role. But have we then maybe shortchanged ourselves by not necessarily getting a another actor in to do it, introduce us to maybe the next 20 or 30 years worth of actor who could pick up a Luke Skywalker story and run with it naturally. A bit like with Alden Ehrenreich yep. and, and, and Han Solo. So it swings around about us. But I think the main key thing to take away is the fact that Mark was involved. And if Mark's involved, it lends the stamp of uh, legitimacy to it. And it's not just been some kind of cheap trick that the production has tried to kind of pull on us just to make a scene work. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. You know, Hamill would probably look at Harrison Ford when he was dealing with that scenario with Solo. And you've got those great pictures of Ford and Aaron Wright together talking. Apparently they got on and discussed the character. And, and you wonder if there had have been a particular situation where Hamill could have sat down with a young... Everyone keeps saying about Sebastian Stan. Sebastian Stan's too busy and too old to do it. So they'd have found somebody yeah. else. And Hamill has that conversation. A conversation that Carrie Fisher never had the opportunity to have because now there's yeah. rumours that the Kenobi show will also feature a young actress playing a child layer in the same way mm. that people are thinking that, that Kenobi may also have a young actor playing Luke. You know, So they're sort of bringing through the next generation of characters and actors... But with terms of technology, if it's used in the right way, in the way that Guy Henry was made to look like Tarkin, what, five years ago now for Rogue One, completely yeah. with the blessing of the Cushing estate and the Cushing family, if they do it in the right way, if it's done respectfully, I don't see a problem with it. This is Steve Bloom, voice of Zebralios, and you're listening to Fanta Tracks Caravast. <laughs> May the force be with you. So earlier this week, Mr. Newbold was invited to one of those Hasbro fan calls that Hasbro guys have with many of the different fan sites across the, the internet. And they kind of let a rather large secret slip. So rather than have me explain it third hand, I'll let Mark explain what kind of happened. Slightly unfortunate. So what happens is Hasbro invite a bunch of groups, fan sites, uh, YouTube channels, social media outlets, those kind of people, including fan yeah. tracks, thankfully to be involved in these basically roundtables, virtual roundtables. So they do four sessions each time, and I'm generally on with the same folks. You basically have five questions each. So it's a round robin. You start with the first person. It's always a different person every time. You ask you five questions about the availability of the new Trapper Wolf figure, the Emperor's Throne, the Cantina six-inch Black Series set in the UK. They're coming to Hasbro Pulse. Ask the question that you actually ask me to ask Mark about Shadows of the Empire and they said that it's on their radar but it's, it's not happening quite yet and just a few of the general questions about Hasbro figures and stuff that's coming and the first session which obviously took place about I would say about an hour and a half before my session did to do these things live with the fan sites recording it understanding that it will be shared I think it's incredibly brave of Hasbro to do that because yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm. one errant question can throw you off you can slip up and say the wrong thing it's very easy to get misconstrued it's a very active and attentive fandom who pick up on a lot of stuff sadly in the flow of conversation patrick mentioned that amongst other things that are coming down the pike 
there will be a six-inch rancor for the Black Series, Haslab Black Series. As soon as those words left his mouth, his brain must have thought, oh, my God, what have I said? Because within minutes of the session finishing, it was out there. So by the time my session was session four, it was already out there. I think you messaged me, Brian messaged me, Matt messaged me. (laughs) It was out there. Hasbro did the right thing. And these things happen. They, 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 you know, mm-hmm. they must know that this was not done with any malice. It wasn't done out of sloppiness or lack of attention. It was just the flow of, of the words that came out of his mouth. They did the smart thing and got ahead of it. And the following day, thankfully, the following day, an article went up on StarWars.com basically saying that, yes, there will be a six-inch scale Black Series, big, nasty-looking Rancor coming out. So when we say six-inch Black Series scale, we're actually talking about a Rancor that's going to be about 82 centimetres in height or 32 inches if you're still Imperial. By no (laughs) means a small little product. So yeah, this is going to be the next Hasbro Haslab offering. I'm guessing all the details and how the funding is going to happen and the material and stuff like that is going to be released after the summer conventions or something. I mean, I'm just thinking on when they've they've done the previous two. They probably don't want to put too much shadow on the fact that they've just announced a 32-inch Galactus figure for Marvel. So it's the same kind of height. And that comes with, like, was it 70 points of articulation? So hopefully this Rancor is going to be super articulated to the point almost whereby it might even be as articulated, if not more articulated, as the the model that they actually used to shoot the thing back in, like, you know, 1982 for Return of Jedi. So it's it's quite exciting. Exciting now. And actually yesterday, me and a good friend of mine, Phil Parker, we were sat down kind of like trying to think of like what potentially the different tier rewards could be. Yes. And like, you know, is, is this going to come with, it could just come with some kind of uh, scenery or, you know, are we going to expect maybe like a Malakili yep. figure? And my hope is that we get a, a bisected Gamorian guard that basically you can actually shove in his mouth. You can then like have just his little legs kind of like poking out from, from his mouth. But, you know, there's, there's loads of different options from this. I mean, have you got any thoughts from that? Yeah, I think that's a great idea, actually. Yeah, I think you've got to have some skulls. There's got to be some skulls. There's yeah, got to be some bones, bones and rocks yeah. and yeah. such to build a bit of a diorama. I think the the Rancor, uh, sorry, the Rancor Keeper is a great idea because I don't think you'd get Malakili on his own on a card. So I think that's that's a decent idea. And also, yeah, uh, a Guard in half. I don't know. Maybe this is the place that you would release an Ula figure. Maybe if you were ever going to do a six inch yeah. Ula, would Disney go yeah. there? No, is it too risque? We are very Victorian these days, so you know maybe it's a <laughs> bit too saucy for palettes these days. I don't know. I think the scene and then the door that Luke opens, maybe the gate. I don't know. There's 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 a few options. I've never really known who it is, but who is the um like the mate of Malakili? You know, the guy who kind of comes in and consoles him. I don't. That's a really good question, and that that would be a great stretch goal. When the sail barge came out, there was difficulties getting it in the UK. When the Razor Crest came out, I think we both got ours through Zavi. I think Correct, now we've yeah. got Haslab now in the UK. And Patrick said about those three releases from last week. We talked about in last week's show that they will be Haslab exclusive in the UK because we've got Haslab. And one of the things mm. that he did say in the talk was, when's Haslab coming to Europe? And Patrick yeah. said, we are working on it. Don't think we're not thinking of these things. It is being worked on because, of course, they're at a disadvantage. So because we've got Haslab, I can only assume that this will be Haslab only in the UK. So if you're not signed up to Haslab, get signed up, because if you want to get this Rancor, which I think is just going to look incredible, this is the way to do it. Hi, this is Steve Grad from Beckett Authentication and Pawn Stars. I approve and I authenticate Fanta Tracks, and you should too. So readers of Fanta Tracks will have noticed we had a competition running over the last week or so. The competition was in collaboration with Norse Legion, gave you the chance to choose the next medal that those guys release. 
The choices were the ATAT driver medal or the Clone Trooper Order 66 medal. The winner has been chosen and so has the winner of the medal. The medal that most people picked was the Clone Trooper Order 66 medal and our random winner from all of our entrants was Kelly Collister. So congratulations to Kelly. Norse Legion will be in touch. They'll be sending you both medals and your name will go on the Norse Legion site as the person who chose that winning medal. Congratulations, and we'll be running some more competitions here on Fan the Tracks very soon. For everything in one location, daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video and social media feeds, bookmark fanthatracks.com for Star Wars news 24-7, 365. So as Mark mentioned at the top of the show, it's our 100th studio episode today. It's actually our 137th episode out of all episodes because we've done episodes at conventions, we've done special episodes and so on and so forth. But studio episodes, it's our 100th episode. We've had a few messages from people out in the Twitter sphere and via email. I'll read a few of them out. The first okay. one was from Steve Clark on Twitter. A huge congratulations on reaching the 100th episode. So thank you to that for that, Steve. Paul Beck via email. Uh, just wanted to wish you and the team at Fanta Tracks congratulations on reaching the ho- upcoming 100th episode of your podcast, Making Tracks. Here's some many more in the future. Always look forward to the new show. Kind regards always. Paul from Australia. So thank you, Paul Beck from Australia. Very kind. I couldn't not read this one out. I want your reply to this one. Okay, this is from Titan God. Magazine's former Star Wars Insider editor, Jonathan Wilkins, who on Twitter asked, when you were making the first Making Tracks, did you think it would be a global phenomenon all these years later? Well, I guess that depends on the definition of global, but you weren't there for the first one, but, no, but you've yeah. been there since episode 25, so you're just as, your answer is just as important and valid as mine. So did you think, Mark, that we would be a global phenomenon, given that we've just read out a question from Australia, did you think that we would have such notoriety? Well, to be fair, I didn't even think I was going to make it past episode 26 as a host. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's great. I suppose it's for power, well, it's for power of podcasting and the internet and the fact that clearly pandemic, like I said before, does actually help you kind of get through a few episodes because, you know, everybody's been kind of locked away at one point or another. So it's given hopefully people a chance to catch up on some news and have a bit of a laugh and all that. So, you know, thank you to everybody who kind of sent in their well wishes. It's quite nice to know that there are more people listening than at least I realise. Um, and I know there's at least three people who have listened recently. So that's great news. Well, the only person I ever worry about when I'm recording Making Tracks is you, Mark. So there could be oh, bless you. many millions listening. It's not in my peripheral vision. I'm just focused on what you're saying. So that's all that matters to me. So anyway, thank you for those messages from uh, from Steve Paul and uh, from Jonathan and the other messages we got as well. We've had more than that, but many, many thanks. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll push on towards episode 200 now, I think. Why not? <laughs> Fanta Drags. This week's new episode of A Bad Batch was entitled Rescue on Ryloth, where distressed transmission calls Clone Force 99 back to Ryloth. Funny that. Twi'lek freedom fighters Sham Syndulla and Alini, his wife, have been imprisoned by the Empire and falsely accused of the fake assassination attempt on Ryloth Senator Orn Fritar, who, we learn, is still alive. So those including me and Mark, you know, who were getting our knickers in the twist last week about the fact there might have been another cannonballs up can kind of relax a little bit now, So, <laughs> which is all good. Anyway, back to the story. With Mr and Mrs Syndulla captured, has left a daughter Hera to try and call Amiga and convince Bad Batch to help rescue her folks. Despite Hunter's initial hesitation and the odds being totally not in their favour, they kind of pull it off. So you could say this was slightly more of a satisfying ending to this like, two-parter than I think we kind of thought 
by the end of last week's episode and it really sets up a great storyline for the back end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I didn't anticipate this episode. I mean, until I saw the title of the episode, of course. I didn't anticipate there being, you know, a second part to the episode last week. I really did think that when Hera escaped and they were captured, that that was kind of where they would leave it. It was something that we would come back to in time, but that we don't know a huge amount about Hera's past and, and her history. At the round table I did with Vanessa Marshall, she mentioned that one of the questions asked, you know, how much did you know about your past? And she says, I did know quite a bit. David got it all sort of worked out. So I think this adheres to somewhat to what Filoni had laid down yeah. a while ago. But I really didn't think we'd come back so quick. So to be back on Ryloth and to get back into it and to have and to have the batch be more present and more involved in this episode than they were in the last one, which they were basically guest stars in their own show, was really interesting. I really enjoyed it. it Work for you? I think it did, to be fair. There is a risk with these two episodes because it kind of more than ever really felt like a Clone Wars Rebels kind of episode, which I don't know is necessarily a bad thing or not. I mean, I suppose it kind of comes down to whether or not you feel like each series needs to kind of stand on its own merits. But the fact of the matter is we're trying to build a cohesive galaxy. And so some of these kind of things are going to happen. I was really... I think one thing that was really interesting was the Crosshair and Captain Hauser dynamic and, and just well, even the whole dynamic with the Imperials and stuff. And, and what's quite nice with the Bad Batch is that there's these little kind of throwaway comments that really kind of like refer to how the rest of the galaxy is faring. If you're not paying attention, you miss them. Like in this one, just before the probe droid spots them, text talks about how Ryloth isn't a separatist world and yet they're being occupied and yeah. it was done in a really kind of concise way which um again you know he kind of says about like there's other planets that you know falling under this kind of this issue that's quite a big takeaway to kind of think well you know clearly yeah this is what's going to be happening all over the galaxy the, the empire clearly have got some designs for ryloth they they want the i guess the, the minerals and the refineries to be working and i'm sure they've highlighted and spotted other planets around the, the galaxy where they're like actually this planet's rich in this resource so therefore we're going to go and set up a refinery in that one and that one's rich in this one so we're going to go mine it for that and suddenly you see how we're going to start to kind of transition into that world where planets are getting devastated ecologically because of what the Empire's doing to it. Looking at the galaxy and the plans that the Emperor would have logically had, I mean, Ryloth's in a key location. From a tactical point of view, it's a useful planet to have in your pocket. As you mentioned, the resources, they've got to fuel the war machine. It's another world to crack down on. It's another message sent out to other planets, I suppose, you know... Now you would imagine an empire that is kind of masquerading as the next step of the Republic Mm. would want to appear to be harshly coming down on on separatist worlds because obviously their MO has changed, but this whole propaganda machine's working around the galaxy. And so people just think, oh, that's Chancellor Palpatine. He was attacked by the Jedi. He's the same guy. We know as remote viewers that, you know, he's pulled the biggest switcheroonie in galactic history, hasn't he? The general public can't see it. So I think this one really, for me, was very much about Hera and Omega being on the same page. And Hunter, Mm. increasingly, and it's something we've seen through pretty much every episode since they met her, Hunter's now realising, you know, she's not an innocent, she's not naive she knows stuff and she can figure stuff out sid wouldn't be surprised at all she wants to do the whole Jarrett thing and go yeah this kid sees the pieces on the board and she did in this one her and Hera came out came up with a plan and i just love that moment where hunter's like not worth the risk and omega 
has that little moment when she's like, you're soldiers, isn't this what you're supposed to do? There's an element of naivety about that, but it absolutely mm. pushes Hunter's button because from that moment on, he's almost like, we're going in, prove me wrong, tell me I'm wrong, tell me why I'm wrong. If you can come up with a plan, we'll do it. You know, And I love that. Even to the end when Cham gives him the money, he's like, keep it, you're going to need it more than us, which tells yeah. you that the Batch are doing okay. They've paid Sid off. They've actually got some money in the bank now so they can subsist and survive. They're not in it for the money yet. You know, we keep saying about them being mercenaries, but it's like if they were mercenaries, they'd have took that money. Oh, yeah, totally. You know? Yeah. No, no, you're completely, completely correct with that. Yeah, they, uh, that, that whole dynamic, and even down to that little reminder at the beginning of the episode when Amiga's trying to fix, is it Gonky? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So she, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hunter kind of says, oh, he's defective, and she's like, yeah, we all are. Yeah. So it's yeah. just, it just that kind of nice reminder of actually, like, you know, everybody knows and needs reminded now and again to remember who you know who they are and where they come from the dynamic between Amiga and Hero is something I hope that gets picked up again it's one of those things that you know in, in hindsight you go oh that would have been great yeah. to have an episode in like season three of the Rebels yes. where Hera is you know has to help out Amiga or something and can return the favour that would just be way too much Overcomplicated planning to, to even happen back then. So, but you say that. You say, sorry to jump in, but you say that. But you make a really good point because what if now Disney's got the facility now? Disney made Rebels, right? So they've got all the assets. Yeah. It's not like Clone Wars when it was a different scenario. They've got all the assets, and they can, if they wanted to go and make a, a TV movie, a Spark of Rebellion length episode about yeah. Hera and Omega meeting in season three, and drop it in between a few episodes, and it looked just like a Rebels episode, and all the voice cast are still here and around. They could do it if they wanted to. I mean, yeah, I suppose they could do. Yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's, there's nothing stopping them. I mean, that would be a quite an interesting pitch, I would imagine, yeah. to try and get through. Yeah. But there's a potential. This, again, is uh, could just be like a, a Marvel one-shot or something like that. I just kind of really like the, the kind of parallels between the previous couple of episodes with the Separatists being under the gun and then these guys. And, and that whole notion of crosshairs he knows that he's on unsteady ground yeah. you know he's, he's kind of being tested and you've got captain hauser who's you know kind of turns out to be the hero but it was a bit of a fruitless kind of thing because he puts down his gun and says like you know who's with me and half the clones say yeah i'm with you and then we just get arrested i'll be interested to see what actually happens to them and their fate and potentially like if this could just be like a, a little almost like a little spark of rebellion yeah. in the clone ranks themselves and whether or not some some stories leak out from Ryloth and then start to kind of affect other clones across the galaxy well one of the things i put in my starburst review was that i that that moment with hauser we said it on the show a couple of episodes ago well last episode when when he first turned up and we said he feels like a guy who's had his chip removed my thought process on that is that, okay, the chip's there to enact orders. It was the Order 66 chip, wasn't it? That was the big the big galactic yeah. thing. But you've got to wonder now, these are, these are bred to fight for the Republic, and now they're fighting for the Empire. And so those chips, you would imagine, are doing more than just telling them, execute Order 66. Execute Order 66 was kill the Jedi. So now we're beyond that. They're soldiers, they're following, good soldiers follow orders, and they're, they're doing their jobs. But I think now you're probably that enough months past the changeover, if you want to call it that, that now the Jedi are largely gone. The military are now marshalling the galaxy. That some of these clones would be like, why are we doing this? When Hauser stands up and has that moment and says, come on, brothers, this isn't right. We're not on Ryloth to keep the people down. We're here on Ryloth to protect them. And we're not protecting them. So he has that whole little speech. And like you say, I, I thought Crosshair was going to take him out. I really did think he would just get the order from Rampart to shoot, but he didn't. My hypothesis was that maybe 
you could see essentially, well, it wouldn't be called that, but you could essentially see another conflict between enlisted Imperial soldiers, which is what Rampart's trying to do, and former Republic clones, which of course is what the Kaminoans want to propagate still and crosshairs on shaky ground because he's a clone. He's getting frustrated by the batch because they keep outwitting him. And this week he was at, I thought Hauser, I really did think for a moment Hauser was going to go with them, but he was like, no, nope, yeah. I'm staying, I'm, I'm not leaving my boys. I'm not stranding them. I'm not doing that to the squad. There's definitely going to be more from Hauser. I'm just so interested in Omega. I'm, I've just found she's become my focal point of the show, which I never expected when this show started off. She's developing and, I mean, I think even even though, like, each episode, the batch get a few kind of lines here and there, the thing that's kind of missing, really, beyond interactions with Omega is actually any kind of interactions between the clone troopers themselves. So the heart-to-hearts are always with Omega. You know, it's Omega who's kind of trying to kind of remind Hunter of his duty and stuff like that. And between them, you know, there's very few interactions that we see between let's say echo and tech and stuff like that and so um she's yeah she's kind of i think become a linchpin so again like we saw a few episodes ago if she's removed from from the batch now they're going to be really at a loss oh yeah i mean she's become so integral i think if they'd have gone out into the galaxy as a quintet as the five of them with crosshair they would have really struggled to survive i think it's omega being a bit savvy and a bit cute she's a kid people like kids you know, Sid gravitated towards her. She wouldn't have gravitated towards the others. Hunter wouldn't have countenanced having any kind of relationship with Sid. You know, they'd have struggled. They'd have really struggled, I think. Uh, so she is more key to the batch as a unit that's got to survive in that post-Order 66 era than even they probably imagine. I mean, they couldn't get her back quick enough when Cad Bane took her. They were kind of scrabbling and panicking not just because they were concerned with her, but I think also at the back of their minds because they were like, we really need this kid. So her role is becoming more and more essential every week. Yeah, and so, I mean, obviously we see basically at the end of the episode, uh, Crosshair ask for permission to go hunt the Bad Batch, which uh, is kind of, I think, probably a plot point that I think we were going to basically have from the, from the get-go. But I've, I think what they've actually needed to do is kind of build up the crosshair frustration and yeah. possibly even embarrassment a little bit. I mean, admittedly, you kind of think the, the whole diversionary tactics is is pretty basic, really. You know, they, it's something that they must have done loads. And so it, what was quite interesting was this, how his strike force were, you know, even questioned him, you know, staying behind. It shows how green the Imperial new recruits are and having got the experience that the clone troopers have. So I'm going to be really excited to see how over the next three or four episodes, and I'm guessing the final episode is going to have a, a big kind of showdown between Crosshair and maybe Hunter how Crosshair's role kind of develops and how he's now going to be pressing them and uh, maybe kind of forcing them to, to make moves that maybe they weren't necessarily ready to do. Hi, this is Gareth Edwards, director of the best standalone Star Wars film since Caravan of Courage called Rogue One. You're listening to Panther Tracks. Enjoy. We have another listener's question for our 100th episode. It's from Rob in Holland, and I shall read it out. As positive Star Wars fans, how do we keep the community nice? There's so much hate against Disney that it's not fun anymore to go on social media. What needs to happen for this to go away? So I think it's a very, very pertinent question, very commonly thought question. It's been on our minds for a while. Star Wars fandom has wobbled a bit, I would say, certainly on social media. We've had no celebration to focus on. It's not coming for another seven or eight months. We've not been able to get together face-to-face for a long time. Can't wait till we do. 
what do you think? You make some great points. How do we keep the community nice? How do we have it as a busy, bustling, energetic, conversational fandom like it used to be quite a while ago now, but like it used to be? Social media can be hard work sometimes. What can we do to try and stir this up and make it a fun, active place again? I mean, I think quite rightly, one thing that Rob's done, and uh, thank you for the question, Rob, I think is possibly take a step back from social media. And I know it's hard because social media is is the hub. It's where, where the gossip, it's where the rumours and it's where the news kind of comes and drops and people talk about it and discuss it. No one's forcing anybody to be on social media. And in fact, I... I've known many, many friends who have, you know, either take a break and and reassess what they need. And some of them decide, well, actually, I'll keep Facebook because that's where my true friends are and I'll get rid of Twitter and maybe I'll keep Instagram because I like to look at myself and photos or whatever. So I think that's obviously the one thing you could do. But I think people just need to remember that, you know, Star Wars is, is Star Wars and we have no control over it, really. There's a certain amount of uh, kind of optimism you have to have. You kind of have to put a little bit of faith in people that they're going to do the, the right thing. And I think, obviously, a, a lot of fans, especially older fans, were shaken by what happened in the sequel trilogy. But then I think a lot of goodwill and a lot of faith was restored because of shows like The Mandalorian. So I think we just have to kind of put a little bit of hope and faith in the fact that Star Wars has now become bigger. It's becoming bigger and it's going to become more diverse. What it means is that we as fans don't necessarily have to kind of force ourselves to consume everything and we have to accept that there's going to be Star Wars that doesn't necessarily resonate with us at our time of lives and may have done 10, 15 years ago, but doesn't necessarily now and it may never do. And that's okay. You know, lots of people forget that Star Wars is almost unique. There's very few fandoms and very few franchises that are so big and have kind of spanned such a long period of time. We're now talking about three or four generations of different aged fans. And so each one has a different starting point. Mark, you were Generation 1. I kind of consider myself Generation 2 because I came just after the Dark Time, but before the Special Editions. My nephew, who is eight, he's watching Rebels and he's watching um, Bad Batch. And so that's his introduction. You know... And I can't kind of have a go at him for, for loving Zeb more than he, he loves Luke Skywalker because he's got a different perspective and it's all about different points of view. Part of the problem with Star Wars is just systematic to the fact that, you know, it's not just in Star Wars. It's It happens in day-to-day lives, you know. I think there's points where, you know, there's definitely a, a, an onus on the, the tech companies of the companies who own twitter and facebook amount to actually maybe take a step back and actually kind of think how can we how you know what can we do and how can we maybe kind of protect our users and maybe yeah make things a little bit more enjoyable than they are now yeah social media as a platform is the problem more than star wars fandom specifically because you look at other fandoms and they're all the marvel fandoms are arguing the who fandoms are arguing the potter fandoms are arguing there's issues everywhere you look so I think the thing that gives me hope, and we had this in 2019 in Chicago at Celebration, was when people get face-to-face and people are stood yeah. there talking and you're looking around and there's you know, there's the Star Wars show opening over there, there's the X-Wing behind you, there's whatever, there's things left, right and centre and you're looking around, you're seeing faces that, you know, everyone's buzzing and everyone's happy and the panels, it's just people clapping. I think when you're sitting at your individual computer or sitting on the train on your phone, it's very easy to bite when people put things out there. And people, so many people now put things out there that is just bait. It's literally just bait. 
They just want to start an argument. They just want to start that negative conversation. And you made a great point, not only the generational thing, and to me, yeah, I've been with it since the beginning, and Star Wars still feels new to me, which I think is why I'm still so invested. Trek's been through so many ups and downs and so many periods of fallow periods and busy periods and quiet and busy and quiet and busy. Star Wars has pretty much been full on since 1991 when Air to the Empire came out. It's not really tailed off. It's just been there consistently right at the front of everything. The programming we're getting now is so good. Bad Batch is so good. The comics are engaging. The books are interesting. We've got our Super Bowl with Celebration, but there's loads of stuff here in the UK that we can go to. I'm, next weekend, I'm going to Doncaster Unleashed. There's a few Star Wars cool. guests at that, so it'll be my first convention since, wow, since New York Comic Con in 2019. I think when we're talking one-on-one, you and me may not have the same favourite film. Go back 20 years <laughs> and it was Phantom Menace. Go back to the original trilogy and people didn't like Jedi that much, you know, because it was so different to Star Wars and Empire. But then other people absolutely adored Jedi because look at Jedi and it's like a masterpiece of visual effects and it wraps up the trilogy. And now you can't think of those three films as separate films. You just think of them as a unit. So, so yeah. there's always been periods where people have criticised and got into each other's uh, face. But back to Rob's question, how do you keep the community nice? I think you just engage people. You be conversational. Yeah. It's so easy to bite because we live in a stressful time with everything that's happened for the last 18 months. It's been stressful. Work stressful, life stressful. It's easy to bite at people. When you're all together, enjoying it together, having a chat. We do this show together, but you're the CEO of the Rebel Legion in the UK and I'm running Panther Tracks and we're all and right for inside. I mean, we're all doing different things. So we're all bringing different pieces to the conversation. I think that's when it gets really interesting. One thing we as a Star Wars community is far too quick on, is always complaining about the fact that it's the thing that we didn't get. Why hasn't this come out? Why hasn't Hasbro done this? Why isn't this and that? And why why am I not getting this comic? To be fair, that kind of makes us spoiled. Mm. And I think you kind of got to turn that around and say, well, actually, we're not spoiled. We're so freaking lucky that we're getting all this stuff. Yeah. That, you know, there's opportunities for us to read these books and enjoy the comics. And, and sit down on a, a weekly basis and actually taking a Star Wars live action TV series that we've never had before or like a Star Wars animated show that we didn't have before 2008. We need to remember that. And it's the same as like when people say, oh, we don't need a solo movie. We don't need a Cassian Andalfunk. You're right. You're damn right. We don't need it. What we need is we need electricity, internet, you know, food and a hat and a roof over our head. Now, most people, and especially those who are listening to a sound of my voice, will have got all of those four things. So then we can grant ourselves very lucky and go, actually, wow, look at all these things that we don't need, but we're getting and we can consume and we should be able to enjoy. Because I think most people, and if you're not one of those people, then I feel quite sorry for you, who can sit down and watch a Star Wars whatever and just enjoy it and kind of switch off. If you're not able to switch off the analytical part of the brain and, and actually just enjoy stars for what it is, then I feel quite sorry for you. It's why I have to watch everything that we talk about twice, because I want to watch it first as a fan and then secondly try and pick up some kind of discussion points and break it down so hopefully we can have an engaging conversation, which will then benefit those who have actually spent the time to, to listen to us. So, you know, it's it's a difficult one. But I think there's also so many Star Wars fan groups out there. I'm not just talking about the Rebel Legion, the Five of First, the Mando Mercs, the Dark Empire, the Saber Guild, the Droid Builders. There's Joker Squad, Sentinel Squad. There's like Milton Keynes Garrison, the 99th Garrison. There's you know the, the Scottish Five of First Garrison now, and the Isle of Wight Garrison. Those are all clubs in the UK and Norwich Stars Collectors Club, plus so many more. Not everything needs to exist online. 
And, you know, all these clubs and stuff meet up and people talk and meet up conventions and we have a good time. And yes, there are people and, you know, me and Mark, we've sat for or stood for 40 minutes and, and basically chewed the world to write about Star Wars in the middle of MCM Comic Con so many times. It's just like ridiculous to a point that I get moaned at by my members for not doing anything. But the point is like... When you're there and you're face to face and you can see somebody and you can actually, you read them and you can read that actually, you know what, I hear what you're saying, you don't sound irate, I understand your point. And so I think the more that we can actually spend time with each other, which is obviously increasingly difficult in this day and age, the easier being Star Wars fans as a collective is. So get back out to conventions, meet some local Star Wars fans and just have a good time. So I'm going to climb down from my soapbox and wrap this episode up because I think that's basically all the time that we have for this week. So if you've made it this far, pat yourself on the back and thank you for listening. But also thanks massively to Rob for sending in that question. It's actually quite interesting. It's, it's given me a lot to think about and hopefully it does you as well. So if you've got any thoughts or comments about that, please send them in. But of course, if you're new to the show and you don't actually know how to get in touch, but would like to drop us an email with a question or a thought or a theory, Mark has all the info you need to help you do it only you can stand on a soapbox and still be dirty uh, if you want to be part of the action and stay updated on all the latest stories and shorter news, than you well there is that uh, visit <laughs> fanthetracks.com or check out the free free fanthetracks app through the app store to follow us on your mobile device you can reach out to us and send in your listeners questions by emailing radio at fanthetracks.com so please we're all out of questions we want more questions for episode 101 and going forward so Get them in, please send them in, radio at fanthatracks.com. Comment, like and share on any of our social media feeds at Fanthatracks and be sure to subscribe. Leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcatcher or smart speaker of choice. And as always, thanks to James Semple for composing the Fanthatracks intro, Adam O'Brien for our making tracks only music, and Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers. Remember, tune in to our weekly Fanthatracks news show, Good Morning Tatooine, live Sunday evenings at 9 o'clock UK time, 4pm Eastern, 1pm Pacific, on Facebook and YouTube. As always, Mark, thanks for your time. Mucho fun now. That's right, buddy. Yeah, much fun has been had by all. And yeah, do check out the Fan for Tracks YouTube channel. Make sure you hit that subscribe button because for the guys, Brian and Mark, they do upload roundtables and stuff that actually um, is really interesting content during the week. So do that, then you'll be happy. And until next week, Mark, look after yourself. I will. Everybody else, you know the draw by now. Wear a mask. Make sure you definitely get vaccinated. Have fun. And may the force be with you. Coming up next on Fanta Tracks Radio, it's another episode of Making Tracks.